to Little Bodies, Mighty Hormones, a podcast that delves deep into the world of pediatric weight management and hormone health. Join me, Dr. Rinkumera, as I embark on a journey to unravel the mysteries of these tiny bodies with enormous potential. Here, I will guide you through the intricacies of nurturing healthy lifestyles, fostering hormonal balance, and empowering our youngest generation to thrive. So whether you're a concerned parent, a healthcare professional, or simply curious about the wonders of pediatric health, you're in for an enlightening ride. Stay tuned for expert insights, inspiring stories, and actionable advice to help our little ones reach their full potential. Let's embark on this empowering journey together. I just wanted our listeners and viewers to to know a little bit more about you. And you've done so much. And I'm so delighted to have you here today to talk to me about menstrual pain in young girls. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And then I know you're in California. So tell us a little bit about what what you do. And yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And hi to everybody who's watching. So I am Dr. Prabhakar. I'm an OBGYN. And after my training, I did a two-year fellowship in minimally invasive surgery, which is where I focused on learning surgical techniques, just robotic surgery and stuff like that. At this point in my career, I don't do as much OB, so I don't do as many like, you know, deliveries and things like that. I really focused on gynecology and I do, I take care of GYN issues for all women through all stages of life. So my youngest patient is 11. My oldest is like 82. And I have a niche in fibroids, which that's why my name is the Fibroid Doc. So I take care of a lot of women with heavy bleeding, pelvic pain, fibroids. And and I'm in the Bay Area. And I just opened up my own practice last year. So I'm out here in Lafayette, California. And uh, yeah, excited to be here and answer questions. Okay, great. So yeah, and for the viewers, if anyone has any questions, you know, p- please feel free to put them in the chat and I will ask Dr. Prabhakar as well. But I guess the first question I had for you and why I'm interested in this as well is because I treat a lot of young girls with menstrual concerns and menstrual issues from a whole host of just not having their period at all to just having very painful periods. And one of the most common questions I get is what does what's abnormal for a heavy period? So, you know, when a girl and I treat, you know, girls when they before they start having the period all the way till they're 22. And so at what time what point would you say something is abnormal or the period pain is abnormal that needs an evaluation? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, for most women and young girls, there's the the period flow is going to fluctuate. So usually the first day is a little bit light, then day two and three tend to be heavy, and then day four, five, maybe six are light again and a little spotting. So that's sort of the natural way a period typically flows. Now, and so, so anywhere from four to five days. So for women or young girls who say, oh, I think my period is really heavy, is when they are bleeding more than seven days. They're bleeding mm-hmm. seven, 10 days. And in of those two or three heavy days, now they're having, you know, day of spotting and then five days of heavy bleeding and then two days of spotting. So that tends to be a lot. And also how heavy is heavy. So if you are changing, you know, the, on those heavy days, a lot of times you're probably changing about four pads a day and then using, you know, one at night 
But if you're ever getting to a point where you're changing pads every couple of hours, then that's too heavy. And I think a very important thing to remember is when you first get your period, it can sort of be a little bit all over the place. Like it's not going to fall into a perfect pattern right away. And I think a lot of, I see a lot of young girls get all concerned and moms getting very concerned about that. So one of the things I suggest is really having a diary, you know, writing, okay, this month, when did my period start? When did it stop? What are my symptoms? And so on and so forth. And if you really start to see a pattern over six months, then it, it becomes, you know, then I would seek some treatment. And he also asked about pain. Now it is common to have some cramping, some pain, and they usually should be taken care of with a Tylenol or a Motrin or Advil or a Leaf. So some girls will have to take maybe up to even two or three a day on those heavy days. And that's fine. But you should be able to still do your things, you know, go to school and play sports and, you know, tennis practice and whatever. But if it's getting to a point where, oh, it's debilitating, like I'm going to have to call out from school every three, every those three days, every single month, then that's a problem. Okay. And that's okay. when you should say help. And so, so I have some questions about, you know, the pain. And so, you know, some of the viewers are saying, okay, I had pain, you know, my daughter has pain 10 out of 10 and is missing school you know, the week that she has her period missing school, is there something, you know, non-medical that they can do besides, you know, Advil and, you know, over, over what period of time? I think that you said over six months that that continues to have them be evaluated. Is that right? Yes. I think in the beginning, especially around 11, 12, when young girls first get their period, it is, the body's still getting used to it. The axis in the brain is still getting used to all of this. And so, it can be a little more painful and it can be a little more heavy. It can be a little more erratic and we're not having this perfect flow and rhythm. So yeah, I think it's important to get some data and then go to your doctor. Now, if month two, you're just floored yeah. and you're getting pain every single day. I, I recently have a patient like this where you're getting pain every single day and you can't even function normally. Well, that's not what you should take care of sooner. But if it's just an issue, if it's an issue of having bleeding and pain, you're not really sure, well, is this normal or not? I would get them data first. And that's a lot more, you can get a lot more. Okay. Treatment. Okay. And so can you define for us, you know, a fibroid? Like what is, I know you, you know, your clinic is called the fibroid doc and that's your specialty. So I wanted to find out a little bit from you. If you could explain to our viewers, what is a fibroid? I mean, it sounds very scary when you hear that diagnosis and so, and, you know, the second part of that question is how common is it for, for younger girls to have fibroids? Yeah, so fibroids are little balls of smooth muscle that grow on your uterus. So the uterus is made up of smooth muscle and fibroids kind of grow on your uterus. They can be the inside the cavity, they can be the wall of the uterus, or they can even grow on the outside. And 99.99% they are benign. So, especially in young girls and teens. So, and often you don't even need to do anything about it. So, a lot of times the way young girls will know is if they're, if they feel like, oh, you know, I'm pressing it on my belly and I feel like a little ball. I'm mm. feeling something every time I turn around. Or again, after six months, after six months, your breathing is still really heavy. Then your doctor may do an ultrasound to check for fibroids. Now, it's pretty rare to actually get fibroids in teens and in more younger teens. In the incidence of fibroids is about a lot of population. So that's a lot by the time you, yeah, yeah, by the time okay. you 50 though. So, so it can start 
are definitely in your 20s, early 20s. I've also seen it late teens, 18, mm-hmm. 19, way more unlikely to be starting at, you know, 12 or 13. But that should definitely be something that is that your doctor's thinking about, that you should be thinking about. Oh, I wonder. Okay. Fibroid. Okay. And so if a mom has, so, if, and is there no so yeah, so I question. guess if a mom has fibroid, the question always comes up as, you know, what is the risk for my daughter getting a fibroid? It's just something that's genetic. Or why does it happen? Yeah. Now, fibroids can be genetic, but are not always, but often are. So if your mom, grandmother had a fibroid, yes, there's a high chance that you could also get a fibroid. Mm-hmm. That's something you should be thinking about. But I don't, I think it's about, you know, probably 10 to 20%. But and it doesn't mean that just because you have it, you're going to have it, but it's something that you want to mention to your doctor. Also, a lot, some patients will say, oh, my mom got a hysterectomy. At a young mm-hmm. age, mother got a hysterectomy, which is removal of the uterus, or my aunt got a hysterectomy, but they don't know why. So if you have such a history, it is worth mm-hmm. looking into okay. it a little bit. And so are there treatment options? So say a, a young girl, you know, say the 18, 19 year old that has, you know, severe pain and she does, you know, feel that there's, you know, maybe a fibroid or an ultrasound that detects that there's a fibroid there. At what point would you do anything for it? Or when do you say, okay, there's surgery or are there non-medical, non-surgical options? When would you go that route? Yeah. So it all depends on what mm-hmm. symptoms the fibroid is causing. So when we scan a young woman, sometimes we find out, oh yeah, you have fibroid, but the patient mm-hmm. says, oh, I didn't even know I had a fibroid. You know, I don't feel like mm-hmm. me. My periods are perfectly normal. Then you don't have to do anything. If bleeding is the number one symptom and that's the number one concern, then there are lots of hormonal medications to take to help suppress that and to help control the bleeding. And this is particularly helpful in young girls who are on sports teams. So I see a lot of moms and young teens who are like, oh yeah, I'm swimming and you know I'm playing tennis and I'm traveling all the time for sports and teams and I can't have them. Mm-hmm. I can't be out for you know, seven days and all that. So for those patients, it's ideal to go on something as simple as a birth control pill just to help yeah. those symptoms temporarily. And now that doesn't mean you need to right. be on it forever. Right. You can always go right. a bit after right. six months and see how things are. I don't really recommend surgical treatment unless it is really big. You know, it's really pushing on your abdomen. You can really feel it. It's causing pain. And at that point, we would look into surgery. And it's very rare that we have to operate on a teen fibroid. And usually, I think the youngest time I see it really become a problem okay. is around like 22, okay. 23. And so... You know, sticking a step back from fibroids, so what are other causes? You know, we talked a little bit about menstrual pain in the beginning, like the, you know, teens are not really used to having, you know, pain, painful periods. And then we talked about fibroids. Are there other causes of pain with periods? And are there other things that we can do? Yeah. So the other big one that needs to be thought about is also endometriosis. So endometriosis and adenomyosis are, they're rare in such young growth, but they can definitely happen. No, and, you know, as young right. as 10, 11. So this is where, the, yeah, this is a condition where the glands of the uterine lining leave the uterus and go and implant on other parts of the pelvis, like the ovaries and the bowel and uh-huh. just scatter on the pelvis. So when you get your period, it's just not your uterus that is kind of contracting and getting this pain. It's all these other implants around your pelvis. And so mm-hmm. that can be extremely painful. Now, an MRI is a good test to look for, you know, endometriosis or adenomyosis. Adenomyosis is kind of severe endometriosis and there is a condition of juvenile adenomyosis. So this is something that also needs to be thought about and, you know, 
see, seeing a pediatrician is great as the first step, but then really seeing a gynecologist who specializes in endometriosis is crucial because for a lot of young girls, this diagnosis is delayed and they see a lot of doctors before this diagnosis is made. So if, if that truly is the case, you have endometriosis, there are, again, lots of options from medication to surgery where you okay. remove the endometriotic implant so the girl can have, you know, okay. not have so much pain. Okay. And so, so is that a condition that is more genetic? I mean, why would a girl develop endometriosis, especially somebody at a younger age? Yeah. You know, in both these conditions for endometriosis and fibroid, mm-hmm. we wish we knew like mm-hmm. what caused them, mm-hmm. but the truth is we don't. For endometriosis, it's, there is, it's a 10% chance your, your mom has endometriosis, 10% chance that you're going to get it. So again, family history is really important. But yeah, you know, people have, mm. there are genes that are being looked at. There are lifestyle factors that are being looked at, but clearly in somebody who's 10 or 11, you know, what have they done so far that's going to cause something like this? So we don't really know. There's a lot of being, re- a lot of research being done. It is frustrating that we don't know because it's such a, impacts our quality of life so much. Yeah, we'll have to stay tuned for what really causes it. But one thing that we can do to help regardless with heavy bleeding, with pain with fibroids, with pain with endometriosis is really trying to live a healthy lifestyle. And I'm sure this is something that you talk, you know, right. about with your patients, but trying to eat nutritious food, trying to get that exercise in, even if it's a walk, all of those have shown to positively, mm-hmm. you know, pain. And there's a question earlier about, well, what do I do if I don't want to take Motrin or Advil or, or Tylenol? You know, a mm-hmm. heating blanket can really help. Applying creams mm-hmm. such as sometimes even Bengay or Aspro cream, mm-hmm. Tiger Balm, things like that to help soothe the areas. A CBD cream, no THC, but just regular CBD cream can also help just mm-hmm. kind of relieve. Okay. And, and so it sounds like, you know, you know, those are the big three. It's sort of just, you know, beginning your cycle, sort of getting used to the cycle and having your uterus get used to the period, the pain. And then maybe fibroids or endometriosis. And really, it sounds like the goal is to track the periods, really to see how they are and, you know, at least to have, you know, a six, six month time period. Is that the message that, that you usually say? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, four to six months, just so when you go into your doctor, you know, you can have some sort of data and see, you know, what your body is doing. The one other thing I will also say is ovarian mm-hmm. cysts can also cause pelvic pain and that we can also see that in young girls. And usually these are just benign cysts filled with water or fluid that will often just burst and go away on their own, but sometimes they can get really big and can cause pain. So Yeah, and I just wanted to make a comment since you mentioned ovarian cysts, and I wanted to have you comment on that since you're an OBGYN. But how common is it for girls to have ovarian cysts? Because I have some girls who come and they say they've had ultrasounds done and they have cysts on their ovaries or they have, you know, multiple cysts on the ovaries. And how often is that that you see that as a gynecologist when you're looking at ultrasound? Yeah, we see it. I mean, we see it often. Everybody has cysts their ovaries, right? It's the little follicles that have your eggs. And so a lot of people also have PCOS. And so they all just, I think, may actually show a lot of cysts, but it's not like cysts that are problematic. It's cysts from PCOS. When we talk about larger cysts, you know, those are much more rare, but those are the ones that are really going to cause pain. So it is pretty rare to have a cyst that's thick or seven or eight centimeters in a teen 
girl, but if you suddenly had acute pain where you're like vomiting, you're just stumbled over, then it's always something to think about. But because when you have those larger cysts, they can also yeah. twist on themselves okay. and cause torsion, which is an emergency. So, yeah. So, so if a girl was to be at risk for that, that would cause like severe pain and nausea, vomiting. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Often nausea, severe pain, you know, it was totally fine. And boom, you know, now I went for a okay. run and now I have extreme pain. Or I was just sleeping and I was turning around and then I have extreme pain. And that, that means that yeah. cyst, it's like a water balloon, you know, twisting okay. on its top. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this has been super helpful. I'll open it up for questions if anybody has any questions, at least from the viewers, and see if anybody has any questions for Dr. Provoker. But I think this is very important because this is, you know, I have a teen daughter myself, and there's always questions about what's normal and what's not normal as far as the periods, not just, you know, with regards to pain, but also with regards to the cycle length as well. But I think, you know, I wanted to have you talk a little bit about mm -hmm. the pain because I think most people, you know, tell me, oh, my teen has so much pain with their period. And so it's, I think it's important to know what's normal and what's not normal and what are the signs that need evaluation. Yes. Well, and everyone has a divide pain threshold too, right? So, you know, when I think about back to when I was a teen, I was like, oh man, I didn't have to, right. I had to take the Advil every time, you know, for a couple of days. I was still able to do everything else I needed to. And I think, especially as a teen, I think it's more important to keep your routine, keep, uh, you know, have as much of a normal schedule as possible, even if you have your period. So I think it's always beneficial not to suffer with pain right. if you don't want to take an Advil or a Motrin, you know, just, I would just try to feel better and keep doing the things you're doing so you don't feel more isolated during that time. Because that's what a lot of, you know, young teens also tell me that, you know, they're always having to call out and then they're, they really feel isolated. Their friends are wondering what yeah. they're there. They're missing out on things, right? So trying to keep up a normal lifestyle, right? I think it's Okay, important. great. Well, it looks like we don't have any questions, but can you tell us a little bit about where people can find you and, and you give us information yeah. either online or on the phone, like where people can find your information? Yeah. Yeah. So for anybody in the Bay Area who wants, you know, to come and see me, it's lamorindagyn.com. That's my website, lamorindagyn.com. And for anybody with fibroids who, you know, just wants more information from an expert, I'm happy to, you know, do a coaching session. It's especially helpful for patients who are not in California. I'm sort of, I'm licensed in California, but if you're somewhere else in the country or the world, I can't technically see you as a patient, but I could spend an hour just doing fibroid coaching where we're talking about you know, fibroids, treatment options, and all of that. So you can access that to through my other website, the okay, fibroid great. doc. Thank you so much. This has been yeah. super helpful and it's been great. Thank and you. Enjoy your Friday. It's Friday afternoon here, but yeah. enjoy your time. And thanks yeah. so much for joining me today. Disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The content is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it based on information shared on this podcast. The host, guests, and creators of this podcast do not endorse or promote any specific treatment, product, or medical institution. 
Reliance on the information provided by this podcast is solely at your own risk.